you are at Founders FAQ, answers to all the possible questions of a founder. So a lot of the, a lot of the things that I was trying to do was create a really great place to work. So I didn't focus on, we're going to go build a bot company. One, no one knew what a fucking bot was. No one, next door is Tesla and SpaceX sending rockets to space. So if you want to go work on something and you're an A player, you can go send space chips. Um, but I can be better at a, a, a way to work that is more flexible, that is a better way to work, that cares about things and why we work, diversity stats, remote, uh, flexibility, and giving people decision-making control over their work to hopefully create a better environment for work. Welcome to Founders of AQ. Today, my guest is Shane Mack. Shane is general partner and co-founder at the Logos Fund that invests in startups defining remote work globally. Previously, Shane was CEO and co-founder of Assist, the automated assistant platform for messaging and voice, which was acquired by Converse Social in 2019. And he is currently an SVP at Converse Social. He is also co-founder and chairman at Squared Away, which employs military sponsors as executive assistants. He ran product at Zarly and work on GIST.com, which was acquired by BlackBerry. Hi Shane, welcome to Founders of AQ. At the very first version of Assist, what was the hardest part in those really early days and how did you cope with that? So the first idea was a messaging app that connected you to a local for any recommendations. So you could just message, hey, I'm looking for a dinner spot tonight. I'm looking for a recommendation for a museum. I'm looking for a reservation at this restaurant. And it would actually send a notification out to a local group of people and then they would help you. And it was actually just connecting you one-to-one in a messaging interface. And then whenever you recommended something like, hey, go to the Otoro Sushi tonight and get the uh, volcano rolls, we would pull in all the APIs based on the language. So it pull in all the Instagram photos Google Maps, open table reservation, Lyft, et cetera. And so the magic was happening at that time. And like this whole assistant kind of world was shifting where you could just message with anyone to get things done. And I think really quickly what happened is you had a team in the Philippines as well. So if we couldn't find a local, we would fix someone to help you. So you had, you know, that kind of dynamic. No one used it. No one actually wanted to, t- to ask something. The friction of asking another human to help you. I think it was higher barrier than we actually thought. So it didn't really work, to be honest. The hardest part was that no one used it. No one came back ever. It was free. I was like, why don't people use this? And then I got into thinking a lot more about automation and the integrations to messaging and how do you put APIs and then how do you build bots? And that's how it kind of evolved. But yeah, around that time, when nothing's working, the hardest part is how do you motivate the team to keep everyone inspired when you don't have product that fit? Nothing really works and everyone... Uh, is aware of that. And I think in the past, the way that I would do this before at previous startups is you try to mask that and you try to act like it's working and it'll be good and be optimistic. When in reality, I think over time, I've learned that being really direct, being open and vulnerable, that's not working. Um, telling people that we'll get through this, like we'll make it. But at this moment in time, like we haven't figured it out yet. And having that uh, kind of humility and confidence both to say that and provide that space, um, I think it allows you to get through those hard times and for start. It doesn't work forever. And then no one knows what you're doing externally. And then finally, you find the right thing or you don't. And creating a safe space for everyone to feel like 
even when it's not working, that uh, they want to keep going. It's probably the hardest. The hardest part is keeping momentum that early on. And at Assist, you shifted to remote work way before the pandemic, right? We had an office in San Francisco in New York, uh, mm-hmm. and, and we had about half people remote. So we did a. I think this is honestly the future of how most companies will be built. It's like a hub model, but then any of the offices we required to re- work remote first. So if you had calls with people who weren't in the office, everyone in the office had to be on the computer like they were remote so that we all were on our own screen and everyone felt like, um, that was a huge shift that I think you get away from the five people in a meeting room, one person on the TV, the person on the TV can't hear the people in the room, the people in the room forget about the person on the TV, and like the people in the room all don't have their computers, and so they can't share their screens. And so we have this like show don't tell philosophy, as well as everyone has to operate remote first, even if you're in an office. And so I think it worked really well. We had two offices and then half the team remote across, I think, I don't know, 10 countries or something. And how did you keep your A players in this ups and downs journey and find the market for that end? It's all about the arc of the story. So a lot of the, a lot of the things that I was trying to do was create a really great place to work. So I didn't focus on, we're going to go build a bot company. One, no one knew what a fucking bot was. No next door is Tesla and SpaceX sending rockets to space. So if you want to go work on something and you're an A player, you can go send space chips. Um, but I can be better at a, a, a way to work that is more flexible, that is a better way to work, that cares about things, like why we work, diversity stats, remote uh, flexibility, and giving people decision-making control over their work to hopefully create a better environment for work. So I focused all my effort there. And what happens is then we had to make a shift and you just open an honest about it. This isn't working. Let's not try to morph it. Let's start over. And let's all now, all of us, if we start over, we have more ownership on what we're going to do next. And then Robert Stevens actually was the person who told me, he was my co-founder and he was the founder of Geek Squad back in the day. And he's the one who came to me and said, what you're doing with the APIs and the automation inside of this old product is the entire product for the future. He says bots are going to be the thing that enable conversational interfaces, whether it's voice, whether it's messaging, whatever. And the integrations to all the systems plus the language training to talk to systems is an entire platform itself. I didn't really see it, to be honest. And I think for me, that, I think, provided the safe space for the company, like the humility for me to say, honestly, Robert has this kind of bigger vision for this, and I never really thought of it that way. Then we package that up together. Then we're like, Let's get to something that feels real as fast as possible. So the main thing we did to keep the A players is we picked the simplest, stupidest, dumbest use case we could ever do to prove that it, it, it was working. And then once we felt it, everything changed. And so what we actually did is Robert Stevens was, he gets his haircut at Great Clips, which is hilarious. And they have uh, a website and an app to do priest bookings of haircuts. And so you go to a Great Clips, you can go on the app, it says the, the next Great Clips appointment is 18 minutes away, and you tap it, you walk in, your name's on the screen. So we actually hacked their website, and we built an SMS bot, 23232, and you could say cut or haircut, and it would text back, and it would say, here's the three closest Great Clips, 12 minutes, 19 minutes, 24 minutes. And you'd say, number one. And it would say, cool, you're booked. And we did it via SMS, we were just able to talk to the system, you didn't go to a web page. You didn't log in. There was no password. There was no app download. And we did it. And we just were literally on the back end had a whole JavaScript crawler, like, scraping and shit on the website. They ended up sending us a season assist, actually. Um, but what was amazing about that moment was Robert did it from what we built 
I remember he sent a screenshot and a picture of him and he walked in with his face next to the Great Cliffs board and it said Robert Stevens 12 minutes. And that allowed everyone to feel it. And that allowed us to really have a, a point of view of why this is different. No logins, no passwords, instant access. You can talk to the system, no UI design. We're able to feel because of the simplicity of the first use case. And in that momentum, let's get everyone on board to try one more thing. It's not that hard if you let's just do it. But what happens is a lot of times people try to, I think one of the biggest secrets I ever learned is you got to think smaller to think bigger. And everyone gets in their own way by saying delusional shit in Silicon Valley. Like, the messaging is the future of search. I used to say that all the time. Messaging is the future of search. Then you think, fuck, i got to go rebuild search. Versus, can I book a haircut with a little text bot? Two, three, two, 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 two. I, ha- I have a big vision for this. We had a big, big vision for this. But being able to start with something so tangible and so simple and so small actually is where you get the momentum, I think, to really get going. And you learn things in the, the nuances of the small details. And that's where you learn how to handle a bot air handling, how to do a failover. Oh, how do we understand intent and then keep the context? So all these little things are in the small details. And then it's a television vision, but... Being able to do that, I think, really allowed us to then get momentum. And then you have lucky moments where Facebook called us because we did one for buying flowers on that little check spot. And the buy flowers integration we did with an API, that CEO of 1-800-Flowers was like, I want to do that. Zuckerberg wanted to present 1-800-Flowers on stage as the main thing. And Facebook called us and said, can you build this on Messenger to be our first commerce partner ever to launch on Facebook Messenger? And like moments like that make your company like that. That's when that's then all of a sudden everyone really is involved. We're able to hire more A players and kind of the flywheel started turning at that moment. The best strategy for BD is proto, like building. We just went and built the APIs and, and made it happen and then they called us. Right? I didn't go pitch 2800 flowers. I just built yeah. five flowers yeah. and then they called us to, and then that, and then our platform became actually an enterprise platform. That was the shift that really took the company in a different direction. And what do you recommend for founders while they are finding the founder product? I, I could be on both sides of this coin. I didn't have any B2B experience, to be completely honest with you. So my weakness was that. My strength was I just went high. I spent all my time on recruiting like in a great team trying to build an environment of people who did. Um, and the other side of it, there's so much benefit to really understanding a space, the way the business models work, the integration partners of the space, who, who you, you – can partner with the channel partners like Facebook and Apple and Google and whatever, and having respect from them, and they call you, and the press calls you for the story when there's a big ethics debate at Google. I ended up, like last year, on NPR because Mashable trusted me, and that reporter called me because he just was like, tell me about what are the issues here. And so there's so much value to really being in a space, sure. I think you can do that. Like You can do that without any knowledge of the space. Uh, I focus more now on like how do I create an environment and know as much as I can about the questions to ask about the space, and then how do I get the leadership in place that also has the specific knowledge of that space? But I'm, I focus, I really focus more on designing an environment and understanding the questions in a particular space to attract great talent mm-hmm. on the executive team. I think we're actually too over indexed on founders to be honest. So you have raised great runs and how did you set the right relationships before raising those runs? Building relationships before you ever need it and building something valuable or interesting that people want to hear about. So we had a prototype and a product out and live in the app store for six months before that moment ever happened. So being able to do that is kind of how tech especially works because you can show it. People can use it. They get it. 
you're sending it. And then I, every week I do weekly updates. of here's what we're doing. Here's what's changing. Here's what our vision. I'd love your feedback. And I just started adding to the list every week. But a lot of those relationships came from the last 10 years where I was doing dinners with people and really getting them to open up and have conversations behind the scenes about things they're insecure about or things that we never talk about or pick a theme for the night of how robots will run our companies in 2030 or whatever. And all those relationships end up in a place where you can share things with them and if they think it's interesting, they could be an opportunity to invest. But having product is key, not pitching. Um, and then building relationships before you ever need that moment is just something that I think is a good life idea to do. One simple way to think about it is take Twitter or email or anyone online. Everyone's sharing their intent of what they need. Ten years ago, someone told me, if you, if you help ten people a day, it would be valuable. And if you just go into it with no ulterior motive and you really think about it, and I genuinely took this to heart, and I was like, how do I be helpful to 10 people a day? Hey, this is an article you should read. To, to, the, to like, hey, I redesigned your entire product because I just thought it would be some cool ideas for you. Here's an email file that I worked on for 30 days. That's crazy extreme, but it doesn't matter. And all you're doing is being helpful, never going in and asking mm-hmm. for shit. Just be helpful. All of a sudden, 10 people a day, 365 days a year, 10 years later, that's 38,000 people, right? That's a lot of fucking people. And I just believe in like karma and all the things happen in that environment. And you learn by doing it. The secret to helping people is that you learn by helping them. Uh, and so I don't know. I, and then there's a lot of tactical stuff like how to close it and get the first meeting and pitch or whatever. But that, that's, that's stuff you can learn. You can read a book on that. I think focusing on relationships before you need them mm-hmm. and adding value to others is the best thing you can do that doesn't feel like work when you're doing it. Yeah, it pays off dividends forever. And you have multiple exits. And failures. <laughs> yes. And what's the ideal way to go to an exit? Realize that the exit happened three years before the exit. So take the assist acquisition. The company we got acquired by, and there were other people in the kind of game at that moment thinking about acquiring us, and we had the opportunity to have those conversations. Because three years earlier... At South by Southwest, I met Josh, the CEO of the other company. Hyatt introduced us. Because Hyatt wanted to plug a bot into their platform because he wanted Josh and I to get along. But we kind of ended up pretty much competing. And But we kept a great relationship. He respected us. He quoted us in his book. He asked feedback on it. And we did a few customers together. But we had a bunch of joint partnerships already. Because we had a good relationship, I could be honest with Josh and be like, my goal is to kill your business model. That's what we're doing. If we succeed, your business model fails. So there's an ultimate dilemma in that situation. But because of the respect of each other as leaders, as just people can build great companies, then all of a sudden, that's the person that when you get to the seat at the table that gives you a call and you have this moment and you're like, okay, so I'm either going to build an agent platform or you're either going to build a bot platform or we're either going to just bring this together because we're already doing it and I have four years of knowledge on this and you have 10 years of knowledge on that. I don't want to build it. And then that conversation happens because of the relationship over that time the partnerships we've already done, and you think about your team. And so the reality is our teams had already all worked together and knew each other and done exactly what we're still doing. So the acquisition actually really makes sense. So that's the most optimal case in my mind because the deal actually it was not a surprise to anyone. Facebook's thank you because like we just needed you guys to come together because it's been too hard to integrate you. And then we already know each other and all of our teams have already been working together and know the other side. And now we can just be on the same team and not have any of that negative energy of a competition, but we're trying to get along. Um, so th- that's it. Like the partnerships happen in years before they have being, being a great partner and being 
a person that the other CEO is inspired by, influenced by. Josh is an inspiring leader, inspired me. And when we always shared his vision, like it was always us talking about 10 years down the road. So when we went to do the deal and it was like we were going to compete, it wasn't even about that. It was, what is it? What is this bigger vision we're after? And man, I would love you on my team and I would love you on, you know, your team. Like then it happens and that's how it happens. Yeah. Most people think it happens in like a deal. Sometimes it happens. Don't bet on that. Like it's not just, oh, you walk in and we're going to sell it. And if you go to sell it, you use a really spot. So it's like you get bought, not sold. And it's definitely, uh, uh, something to think about. And my last question is you're a founder and an investor as well. So when you first meet a founder, how do you evaluate the founder? So I'm a terrible investor. <laughs> so I'll tell you a funny story. I rate, I, I rate the founder. I used to be too emotional. And I think, when I, I think about investing now, and here I'll tell you a story of why I've changed my entire philosophy. Ten years ago, I had the opportunity to invest in a company called Loop. L-O-U-P. At the time, Loop, I loved it. Afton's still fucking awesome. I watched this guy grind it for literally 10 years. I, I was fucking surprised it was still alive. And Loop was basically Uber Pool, before Uber Pool. Uber had just launched. Lyft had just launched. Lyft came by our office, and we were like the first Lyft users ever. Logan was an investor in Assist, the CEO of Lyft. I could have asked Logan, hey, let me throw in $10,000 in Lyft. Like, he would have been like, sure. Like, I could have invested in whatever. Instead, back then, my mindset was loyal to like, competition to like early stage active. So I had already invested in active, and I thought they were going to have a chance to beat Uber and Lyft because they were like a little different model. Because it was, it's, so you realize in, in market shifts, everyone in Silicon Valley, not everyone, but most of the people knew that was going to happen. It just, you felt it, and you're like, oh, this is going to work now. And it just went. And I invested, so I, I didn't go try to invest in the other things. So I get last week. I literally land in my, on an airplane, and I get the dissolution papers, and the company's shutting down. Ten years later, my investment's gone. I have no money from the deal, and I'm like, I call, I honestly, I just call Acton to make sure he's cool, make sure he's all right, uh, and he's awesome. So I was really into Acton. If I would have invested in Lyft or Uber at that same stage, that 10 grand, it would have been like $25 million. Point being, who knows what we got in or whatever. I now look at it as, is it a market that I can be helpful to and I have knowledge in? And then I would invest in multiple things in that market. If I would have been smart as an investor, I think I would have put my bust my ass to get into Uber, bust my ass to get into Loop, bust my ass to get into Lyft. And then if this market shift happens, one of them will play on win and it's power laws and the other stuff happen. Um, that's how I think of them now. But I didn't think about it like that then. I was very much just I really like the founder, and I think I still am like I'm very much like that. I really want a coachable, curious founder who's very self aware and knows what they don't know. But is insanely talking about what they're building. They're just this is this is like something, and then I learned something that I never thought before. It's like oh, it's something that I'm always like looking for because everyone's repeating the same shit. So I'm always looking for like the anomaly, and then you can go into like what's your distribution hack, and you can say all the things that everyone else says. I don't. I'm not bad. I'm just an emotional person. Like uh, I, I like the relationship. Afton and I. I don't even know. My investment's gone. I'm so thankful for investing in that company and having a better position with Afton. Uh, and. That's what it's all about, in my mind, at an angel seed level. Shane, yeah, these are all my questions, and thank you for coming to Founders of Ethereum. Then talk soon. Bye.
By the way, Founders FAQ is in pre-order and it covers the answers to all the possible questions of a founder in a startup journey, whether revealing life-saving principles for the startup survival path, building A-plus themes, creating an evolving machine, setting up a need culture, or interpreting the true path for the fundraising. You can pre-order it from foundersfaq.com and you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook.